is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing the third chapter of the original Star Wars trilogy, Return of the Jedi. Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on a new armored space station even more powerful than the first dreaded Death Star. When completed, this ultimate weapon will spell certain doom for the small band of rebels struggling to restore freedom to the galaxy. So begins Return of the Jedi, which came out in 1983 to answer the fevered speculation of fans who had been dreaming of lightsabers and starfighters since 1977, and who had been twisting at the end of a narrative string since 1980, when they suffered through one of the greatest plot twists and cliffhangers in movie history. At long last, fans got to find out what fate had in store for their heroes Luke, Leia, Han, Chewbacca, Lando, R2, and 3PO. They would learn once and for all if Luke would prevail over Darth Vader, if Han and Leia would prevail over Jabba the Hutt, and if the Rebel Alliance would prevail over the Galactic Empire. This is the first movie I spoiled for myself. Shortly before its release, the Scholastic storybook adaptation hit the shelves, and when I learned that a friend of mine had already received his copy, I dropped what I was doing, ran to his house, borrowed it, and read it entirely on the spot. I was utterly spellbound by it, and when I finished, I read it again. And even armed with that much foreknowledge, when I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater, it lost none of its narrative punch or visual splendor. I was transported yet again to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and would have been happy never to return from it. And I wasn't the only one. Jedi was the biggest movie of 1983 and finally brought to a close a story that grew up with us as much as we grew up with it. I am always excited to talk about Star Wars and this time is no exception. So with that in mind, Let's lock S-Foils at attack position and begin our run. With me today is Assistant Rancor Wrangler, Chris Crenshaw. Howdy, folks. <laughs> Speeder Bike Stunt Champion, Tom Hespos. Cam is calm. Center switch. <laughs> and Mon Mothma Speechwriter, Joe Pace. Many Bothans died to bring us this podcast. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that. I was so hoping you are going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, let's get started. Tom, I'm going to hand the mic over to you because your moment of truth kind of comes early in the movie and it's just, it's a huge amount of fun. So take it away. Yeah, it, it's a testament to Leia's badassery. And I, I love the moment because it totally fooled me in the theater. My moment of truth is really, it's in Jabba's palace. You know, it's, it's Leia's freeing Han Solo from the carbonite. We've seen Leia by this point throughout the movies just be a total badass. I mean, yeah. She, yeah. she re-engineers her escape from the Death Star in the first one. You know, you see her just doing her general thing in, in Empire and, and just never shies away from having to pick up a blaster rifle and just go to town. To the point where, if you remember, they parried it in Spaceballs, you know, and uh, Daphne Ziggin gets her hair singed and she <laughs> just, thing just mows down. Just thing. cleans house, yeah. And, you know, that that's testament to Leia's bad, badassery, but, like, it really pays off in the beginning of this movie when you see what the plan is for, you know, getting everybody and rescuing Han from, from Jabba's palace. You know, you hear from 3PO in, you know, the scene where they're walking up to um, Jabba's palace 
deliver Luke's message that Lando and Chewbacca didn't make it back from Jabba's palace. Like they were stuck there. Later, you know, you get this this scene where this diminutive bounty hunter walks in with Chewbacca like in chains and comes to claim the bounty on this Wookiee and like just stands there before Jabba like, I am here for my money. And you're like, whoa, like who is this little dude who, who brought, you know, <laughs> who brought the big Wookiee in and like what happened here? And like, even though know, it's at one point during a lot, a lot of this, while it's all going on, you see, you know, Boba Fett even give like the little respectful. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, here's, you know, another mm-hmm. guy in my trade. I respect <laughs> you, buddy. You know, <laughs> yeah, one nod said the whole paragraph in my book. But uh, <laughs> no, anyway, so, you know, Leia is playing this part of this little bounty hunter who's got a full face mask on. I guess presumably that was the plan to, you know, come in with with Chewie and somehow figure out a way once she's inside to save Han. Ballsy. <laughs> I yeah. guess you know, find any other way to describe it. Does she do it like in a way that's, you know, kind of secretive or, you know, with minimal impact? No, she comes in there and negotiates with a thermal detonator for a higher price for Chewie. <laughs> Like really goes to get Java's respect, you know, to maybe yeah. throw her off his, you know, throw him off her scent or whatever, you know, just to make a statement. Oh, I don't know, oh, but oh, it was oh, just, oh. you know, badassery on, on Leia's part. Yeah. She eventually sneaks out during the night and, you know, frees Han from the carbonite. Han falls out and he's blind. He can't see and he's all disoriented. He's got it. She tells him he's got hibernation sickness. And uh, he's like, well, who are you? She takes off the full face mask and it's revealed to the audience. It's really Leia and someone who loves you. And then they share a kiss. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's just so much to hit you all at once because you're like, A, it's Leia. And like, that totally took me by surprise, you know, as as a kid. Like, no way. Holy crap. That was great. The sheer like brassiness of the whole thing. And it was just so much to take in. Job of the Hut, this big freaking disgusting gangster worm has been sending bounty hunters across the galaxy to go find Han. This guy has been living for like two movies in fear of this Job of the Hut. And you know, here in comes Leia to basically challenge him on his own turf. And it was just so fantastic that it was her under that mask. Like, I just wanted to yeah. stand up and cheer. It was so great. <laughs> when I saw it in the theater, the audience did cheer. When she took her helmet off and she goes, someone who loves you, it was like, wow, it was, it was actually, it was like, it was an applause moment, not unlike when the first walker goes down and Empire Strikes Back. No, I was with, that broke out you know, in short applause. It was that kind of a thing. People were so excited to see her reveal in that way. And I remember even as a kid, I was 13. And so like, you know, a movie kiss is the sort of thing that would make me look like, oh man, I don't know, you know, but I was like, yes, <laughs> I was like, they're together again. Kiss her, you kiss her. <laughs> it was like, there are, all few, she's worth. Yeah, there are a few romantic storylines I was really bought into, but at that time, but the Luke Leia one, all the way. I was like, yes, fantastic. Whoa, 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 Han. That was Freudian. What's that? You said Luke and Leia. Did I say Luke and Leia? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That wow, cannot, that's Freudian. I, that cannot be lost in edit. And, and no, it, um, I might have to live with that one. I meant Han and Leia, but whatever. I'll live with it. Like you know what? Sister. Ignorance is bliss, okay? And as it was, as it shall be. <laughs> there you have it. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Anyway, Chris, what you course, tell me what you, you liked know, about this movie? She goes moment. on to do the ultimate badass thing <laughs> to the space gangster, but uh, yeah, right. It's just yeah. You know, it's just an exclamation point. I, I love it about Leia because, like, in in the first movies and in the even in like the extended universe, uh, I know we want to keep it self-contained, but like 
in the extended universe, you just see how much of a character like she can be with that badassery. And it just like it shines through like all the novels and everything. And it's just mm-hmm. like you love seeing that about Leia. Like she's she does more than hold her own against, you know, the sausage party that is Star Wars. She <laughs> uh, she exceeds it. Like she sets people yeah. straight when they need to get straightened out and yeah. just takes charge when she needs to. And I love just walking into like the baddest gangsters, you know, pad with a thermal detonator, that being the plan. Like, whoa. I'm like a Halloween mask. <laughs> like, here I go. There is let's figure it out. There is a reason that Leia was elected the first, you know, chief executive of the New Republic. I mean, yeah. You know, she was, you know, not only a symbol and someone who had been a, a guiding light throughout the rebellion, she was an actual literal hero. Yeah, who you know whose physical courage matched absolutely anybody's. Yeah, let's, let's remember too that she's she's born to the trade and then raised to the trade of leadership. I mean, her mother was a queen and senator mm-hmm. um, who was a badass in her own right before things went sideways there. But then she was raised by Senator uh, Organa on uh, Alderaan and was raised to you know diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Was I presume taught guerrilla diplomacy? Yeah, yeah, and then was part of the Senate. Before it was dissolved and so i mean like you have a whole backstory to leia and she's one of my she's one of my favorite characters and i also love the fact that like they're not afraid to put her through a lot of di- different iterations throughout the movies mm-hmm. right i mean you have her in the you know the the, the flowing white in, in the original but then she quickly as fast as she can she puts on pants and she you know starts bobbing around in this men's world telling all these guys what to do yeah. and not like in like a bitchy bet but like in charge Oh, yeah, no. And like she wears it so naturally, she commands, yeah. and um, and then you know I love it in the in this in in Empire. You know you get her in in the Hoth corridors where she's such a commanding presence, but then she softens on Bespin, where it's like no, this is a beautiful woman. You're not forced to make some artificial choice between badass and feminine, which I feel so many yeah. times in fiction yeah. you get that right. Like it's got to be one or the other. She's all she's able to to integrate that. Yeah in a way that it's a holistic character who can choose when she wants to be, you know, a, a softer, you know, love interest to a scoundrel. But then when she wants to go and get, get work done, she can flip that switch back and forth. And to the point there, they put her in this, you know, that iconic gold bikini. And what does she do? She chokes off the guy that did it to her with the chain he put her Dude, in. That's yeah. the I most mean, you don't get exactly. that. Yeah. So when things go south on the sail barge, she does not hesitate for a moment. She's like, Right. Almost almost as if they had kind of planned it, to be honest with you. I mean, she very quickly loops that chain around and subjects Jabba to what is frankly one of the most gruesome cinematic throttlings I've ever seen. I mean, he's sitting there, eyes bulging out, tongue coming out, tail blah, 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 at the end. It's like he went out in a bad way. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to choke you out. And, you know, the one thing I love about how tough she is, is that when you first see her walk in. Right. And Jabba's palace and you hear that one guard like, no, 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 no. And she just like stiff arms with one arm, right? Like up against the wall, right? Like she just like manhandles this guy. It's like boom, he goes, he goes, you know. She might have been using the force. I think so. She might have been using the force. Point is, though, is that she she put this guy, she, you know, you practically saw the guy's indent on the concrete wall behind him, you know. She's a badass. So so she's like, time time to choke a fool. Here we go, you know. And uh, I I just, I just love it so much. I I just loved loved her whole turn. I love about Tom's point about how awesome Leia is. That that scene, both in Jabba's palace 
which honestly, like that rescue, it's like a heist movie, right? It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, we're gonna have, you know, here's Lando hiding yeah. out in his map. The plan's evolving. <laughs> when they get out onto the barge, out to the pit of the Sarlacc, like that entire sequence, when I was eight watching this movie, that to me is some of the most fun Star Wars that you ever get. To me, this is the heroes sort of at their, yeah. at their, you know, jumping and throwing and here it comes and r2 it's, shoots his lightsaber and Luke flips it's and captain it. blood stuff man it, it is it is it is, it it is. is a a old yeah it's old school like errol flynn pulp fiction donnie brook like it's just hero chaos wherever you go is something's happening in all directions it was such a great scene i love that sail barge fracas so much every little bit of it works. the giant monster and if you fall in you get slowly digested for a thousand, <laughs> a thousand years, years. Exactly. Great. i love it or do you Stakes yeah. are high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stakes, stakes are high. You know, yeah, but, but un- exactly. unless you have Beskar armor. Yeah, well, yeah. well you know, it, the, you know, it's funny because I, I mentioned before how when when Leia kisses Han, you know, you know, you know, in the audience, you know, I was watching with applauded. Again, when Luke jumps off the the plank and spins around, and all of a sudden, you know, R two fires that lightsaber and he lands in his hands like oh, and ignites it. The whole crowd went berserk. I mean, it was like it was hands in the air, like what. Because it was like, you know, Luke was back in action with the green lightsaber, which we didn't even know that could happen. He's just like, just swinging left and right. Clear. It was the blue in the posters. It was blue in the posters. I know. But it's green. We're like, what the heck? And it was just, ah! yeah, he's just clearing the deck. It was like, holy, we went from zero to 60 in like two seconds. I was like, well, what's great, you know, you, let's not sleep on Luke in the whole Jabba's Palace. He walks in and he owns that joint from day one. Yeah, he, does. he walks in, he's, he's doing like, this is the the calm Jedi master. He's like Obi Wan. Like he's like prequels Obi Wan. When he walks yeah. in, he's just like in the That's mistake like, you'll ever make. <laughs> yeah, he's like <laughs> so and the whole time he's like kind of laughing. Yeah, and, you know, he's like okay, and you're like he's got something up his sleeve. Yeah, um, I hope. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when he first when he first walks in. He's met by those two Gamorreans who cross their axes at him. And he just very casually, just a light force choke here, light force choke there. And like, okay, okay. And you're like, wait a minute. You're like, it's like, hmm. Casual. It's, it's casual, but you're like, here's Luke displaying way advanced force powers and apparently doing verboten stuff right off the get-go. So you're like, well, right. wait a minute, hang on. And, and so for the start, you're like, is it, wait. Is, and he's like, he's just all dressed in black. You're like, well, how Vader-like is he right now? And it was late as a kid, especially watching for the first time, like, well, I'm so excited to see Luke back and see him do his thing, but is it going to be a case of be careful what you wish for? Because, like, is he is he a corrupted version going? of himself? And It was far later that I recognized that, Bill. Yeah. You're smarter than me. If you if you try to, one of the things I like to think about is, like, imagery in these movies, right? And the, to me, the, the most iconic image from Return of the Jedi is Luke on the skiff with the lightsaber? Yeah, like that's yeah. probably that was on all the posters, yeah. all the books, absolutely. All the covers. Like that, that's the image um, from from this movie. Yeah, well, I mean, the Luke we get there is such a far cry from the Luke we saw in Bespin. So he made such a quantum leap in his acumen, and he's just, I mean, just taking him to town. I remember we used to joke around a whole lot about like. You know, it's, it says a lot about the Rebel Alliance that they couldn't spare, I don't know, 16 of their toughest guys. Just go to Tatooine and walk in and shoot everybody and take Han back <laughs> right. if he was that important. Like like, they, like they a Rogue are, One squadron yeah, crew yeah, kind like of thing? Yeah, they are a small <laughs> army trying to overthrow the Empire. Surely knocking off some crime lord in the galactic version of East Bumblestan can certainly, you know, not stand before them. So why not? And I'm like, and watching, like, well, they don't have to because Luke just said he'd take care of it. Like, okay, great. We have a war to win. You 
do your Jedi thing. And, you know, and, and, and when you see him on the skiff going nuts, you're like, oh, now I see why. It's, they really, all they did need was Luke and his friends not unmanacled and they'll just take care of it. And he did. It was a really, a really great reestablishment of their heroic bona fides after, after Empire. It, it was it was the moment with the rancor that convinced me that Luke really did know what he was doing. Like surviving that, yeah. I was oh wow. <laughs> yeah. when, when I was yeah. a kid watching it, I thought that we had had some time pass and that he had gone back to Dagobah and completed his training. That was my assumption as a kid watching the movie for the first time. I'm right. like, clearly this guy's gone back to grad school, yeah. Jedi, and figured some stuff out, right? And now he's knows how to handle himself but that obviously becomes clearly not the case yeah later in the film explicitly but in my head canon he snuck back to dagobah well i had often thought about that as well but apparently it's only been a year since the end of empire so i mean this is i mean there's no greater triumph of homeschooling than luke self-jediing himself (laughs) he was doing zoom classes with yoda apparently yeah apparently i mean he was doing something learn how to he apparently youtube how to build a lightsaber and just i mean got it all put together and yoda's like no you're fine hyper crystal came from amazon you know (laughs) exactly that old mind trick that ben pulled and hey i got it to work (laughs) got to work exactly um it works so well you got a sense he just sort of walked all the way through like tatooine just mind tricking the whole place it's like you know mind tricks the whole like moses part in the sea of crowds people just walk away from you know that scene where leia comes back in java's palace was such a great such a great reintroduction because I was like, man, I don't know if I can handle another badass bad guy taking down our heroes. Like I was like, not ready for it. I'm like, I don't need a second Boba Fett. I really don't. <laughs> so I was happy to see Leia, but I was also relieved that there was another bad guy on top of who like, we're already talking about the emperor showing up in town. I'm like, mm, don't know about that. And it's like, I don't need another, you know, so it was, it, was, it was good to see. But, you know, as we were talking about, the, you know, the job scene, that kind of brings me to my moment of truth. It's not a particularly deep part of storytelling or anything, but it does get to the heart of why I love this movie so much. And it's just, it just gets to some of the great action sequences and set pieces of this movie that are just so much fun to look at. And this movie's got great set pieces galore, uh, just some great action, including a terrific kind of end climax where it's like a, a tripartite climax it's all happening more or less simultaneously and they keep jumping from one to another and from a storytelling perspective i was always fascinated by how return juggled those those three simultaneous storylines that became a star wars tradition it became a tradition it really did yeah you know you had to have the you know the the, the three or four part you know action sequence happening when i saw it in, in jedi it was like whoa, whoa 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 wait a minute what's happening i'm watching three movies at once right where it really kicks off is in a moment that at the time I loved it, I still love it. It's been memed to doomsday and back again, but I don't care. And it's when, you know, the rebel fleet, they show up to, to the Death Star thinking they're just going to, you know, make this milk run and get them unaware. And that's when they're, as they're coming in and Lando's co-pilot is like, well, you know, we, we're not reading the shield and we must be, you know, I mean, it must be jammed. And Lando's like, why would they be jamming us if they don't know we're coming? <gasps> Wait a minute, you guys, everybody pull up. And all the ships like pull up. They can like, no, 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 they know we're here. And they pull up. And that's when you see this whole flotilla of Star Destroyers waiting for them in this other sector. And this Moan Cal, uh, you know, an officer is like, enemy cruiser, sector 12. And Adam Ackbar just looks at the camera and goes, it's a trap. <laughs> and it's been such a diehard meme forever, but I don't care because that moment was like, I just loved like he's just this this cagey, smart naval officer. Like we've never seen uh, the Rebel Alliance scaled up that much, you know. So seeing like a big flotilla of capital ships and all that, like oh, this is so cool, big good guy force. Here's this cool looking alien. He's like yeah. he's running it. Yeah. He wasn't panicked. He's like oh, I was like okay, like. I see your trap and we're gonna have to figure this out. And I just, I knew we were gonna be in for one hell of a battle and one hell of a battle is what we got. Cause not long after is when all of a sudden like fighters coming in and they just, you see this incredible shot of 
all these wings of TIE fighters coming at the camera, breaking off, just firing rapidly. The fighters are going, you know, past each other. And it's just this, this scene of incredible kinetic energy. At one point, you know, this one freaked out rebel pilot goes, there's too many of them. And as a kid, I'm like, you're right. There's too much. Like, <laughs> I can't, my heart is going to stop, man. I can't take this. It's too cool. It just, you know, and, and for so long, that star fighter, the star battle, part of the end of return of the jedi was kind of what i watched for like i just i loved it so much it was so adrenalizing to me and just so amazing and so technically marvelous and just so exciting just to watch uh i just i, I even still today watching it again i just i was thrilled to see it yet again it remains my favorite yeah, part of the film like that that star battle the start of that like bill like i remember that like it just hits you like a ton of bricks for a number of reasons the first of which was like I've never seen that many TIE fighters in one place before. I've never <laughs> seen half of these particular models of TIE fighters. Like, I'm like, wait, TIE interceptors? I got TIEs yeah. with this wings going this way and that way. And like, and they're all like coming at them like in formation too. Like, yeah. Up till then, you hadn't seen TIE fighters with that like level of precision flying and stuff like that. It's been like, oh, you know, three or four of them are chasing yeah. Millennium Falcon or whatever. Like, now all of a sudden, you're seeing like, yeah, we brought all the fighters, and <laughs> like, whoa, that's a lot. Like, what is going so on? Overwhelming, yeah. and you're like, oh, geez, this really is a trap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're exercising our strategic production advantage. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, your point with uh, with Admiral Akbar and how he's not like he says it's a trap. He's he's unruffled yeah. by that, and then like, later he's like, "I'm for the star destroyer." And then they take out one of the star destroyers, and it pans and it cuts to Akbar yes. just sitting there looking satisfied and yeah. Like, he, 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 yeah. It, yeah yeah he looks and says bags like mm, so it does he kind of you know, yeah so it must be and one down. the thing with akbar that i love so much is it touched upon something that i love so much about star wars which is that they have this way of dropping in these details or these characters that are just barely sketched out a little bit but enough that it really captures your imagination so you're like well what is this guy's story what is that thing's story wait, 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 i want to learn more about this thing and the details are like fleeting but they're never throwaway and the way he conducted himself the way he gave that briefing the way he's like it's a trap and then the way he watches the executor take a nosedive in the death star i was like this guy is a naval genius and i want to learn more about this character and we don't get more in that movie but that's okay it just it just it establishes so much that like his backstory i'm sure is something awesome and even though i don't get to see it I'm okay with that, you know? And it's like, it's like you see the A-Wing for the first time. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, hold it. That, that's a really cool fighter. What? Just, I think moving too fast. Can't talk about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like that the whole movie. And this movie in particular just takes all these details in the Starfighter sequence and just throws them at you at once. And you're just like, the Star Wars universe sort of breaks open a bit. Absolutely. It is a, a seed of story or, or of world building. He just like throws it on the ground like skeleton's teeth and it sprouts and it's all the detail that convinces you this is a real place. Yes. Yeah. You know, galaxy far, far away. This happened. Yeah. A long yeah, time sure. ago. You know, and you mentioned, you know, Akbar and his backstory. And I think it's a credit to the, the world building and the uh, character creation that we get these and our hunger for the, the franchise that you get these sort of really bit players like Akbar, like Mon Mothma, mm -hmm. and their lines are just as indelibly iconic as the main cast of characters. Yeah. They're just as likely to say many Bothans died or, you know, it's a trap or, you know, even Nien Nub, uh, Calrissian Skinfolds guy yeah. that's riding the line on that laugh. The, the solace, yeah. The Beard of the night. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> I love that dude, man. He's great, you know. 
Um, Somebody did take your cue and run with it, though, Bill. I mean, in the extended universe, they do give a pretty big backstory for that, you know, whole race and like what they do within the Rebel Alliance and everything. Yep. Basically, it boils down to they're like they're strategic AF, you know, like yeah, yeah. Work, yeah. Just use boils down to with Mon Calamari. Yeah. Is that really? Just, well, that just well, no, they, and they're three dimensional thinkers because they yeah, live yeah. underwater. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just thought there was a super cool, a super cool, you know, alien race. With a red sauce. You know, stop it. <laughs> but, you know, really good with butter. What you're saying about, you know, like the whole, um, you know, there are like little seeds everywhere, you know, like I, that's the one thing I like about, you know, the books is that they ran with all those, but like, yeah. you know, just for the moment that they drop into Star Wars and deliver like whatever line it is or make their contribution in whatever way, like it leaves you just wondering like, what's that dude's backstory? Yeah. Like, uh, it, it's I, so great. To see. You know where I felt that acutely? was um it's actually before all this but when han and, and leia and luke and, and basically the, the rebel strike team goes down to endor to take care of the bunker there's a squad of rebel commandos with them and i remember like i was always like well wait a minute there's that one guy with the white beard who is he he's he looks cool like what's his story who's that guy he looks cool it's his story you know and some of them did get their stories fleshed out we never even knew what their names were they didn't have speaking lines but they were so cool looking I just wanted to know who they were and what they're doing at the end. Surely there's an action figure. There must, there must, there must be. There's a, I know something today for the first time I'd never seen before watching it. They take over the bunker. Right. And all of a sudden, like, you know, more Imperials kind of come in and they get caught and they get more, they get frog marched outside and they're all got their hands up. All the rebels, they got their hands up. That rebel commando with the white beard, he's got his hands up too, but he's in a stormtrooper outfit with a helmet off. Like some point, he had somehow knocked out a trooper and stolen his armor. For what purpose? I don't know. But he's in like, yeah, you got me. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, hang on. How did we get, how did he get to there? And how did That's I? That's a whole story. It's a whole story. But like, it's like, I have been watching this movie on the regular since 1983. And I didn't notice that until today. I was like, whoa, whoa. How did I not see that? And I talk, I frankly, I talk part of it up to the fact that many times when I saw this movie, I saw it, you know, before it was letterbox, like pan scan format and a lot. And this is like on the right side of the screen. So a lot of that cool detail just gets chopped off, you know, when you, if you're not watching letterbox, but. It's also entirely possible that he's not supposed to like. He's just he was doing double duty. Exactly, <laughs> it's possible. Well, entirely he possible. Was, he was surrendering though. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, he was totally surrendering. Like, and, and but he had he had this like he had this like black balaclava on, like like that had like, a whole open face. So clearly, it was something that was meant to be worn underneath the helmet. So it looked like he had like cost some some stormtrooper, gotten in his armor, like and like you know, oh yeah, no, sorry, you busted me. I'm like these guys were just doing stuff all over. But that's how. This, this, the action sequences of this kind of operate, and they just drop these details that are really fertile, you know. When you when you mentioned the set pieces, Bill, and now you're talking about Endor, like it, it's it's hard not to talk about that setting because you know we've had the desert in Tatooine, mm -hmm. right? We had the ice planet in Hoth, and now here we are in the jungle, right? And we're you know trying a different setting. The speeder scenes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> just, I mean, as as a kid, I mean, is there anything more fun than essentially like snowmobiling or dirt biking through the woods? And I mean, it's, you know, I don't know. This, this, this Tom had a top gun by two years. <laughs> Tom, why don't you tell us? You're a speed freak. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, and I'm a speed freak through the woods too. And like, yeah, <laughs> you know, 50 on a dirt bike through the woods feels like 120 if you're dodging trees and you're on a, you know, a trail system. We used to, we were kids go out like behind the uh, Brookhaven National Laboratory where if they catch you, there are consequences. And we just <laughs> riding illegal behind the lab, you know, and uh, some of that showed up, I think, in the movie 
you know, I saw like a sketchbook of the Return of the Jedi and like, you know, all the detail about the speeder bikes and everything. Like Lucas yeah. really wanted those things to be like hot rods. He's like, you know, I want yeah. you to show a few of them with panels missing. I want you to show, you know, like with little modifications and stuff on them. Like, yeah. I think he was really embracing his his inner motorhead uh, with with those speeder bikes. Oh, for sure. <laughs> sure. And it, it is impossible to overstate how much that scene blew people's minds when they first saw it. Because, Good I mean, Lord. I, I, yeah, like at a time in a pre CGI time, that sequence was like you're in your seat and you feel like you're going a million miles an hour watching this thing for the first time. Like, what? I was not prepared for this scene. <laughs> you know, it was so Imagine good. Imagine IMAX. Oh man, my, my <laughs> fate my... coming up so fast and everything. Oh my god! Like, yeah, and it's like whoop whoop, and the, they're like the trees are actually like making noise oh, as they go by. There's great sound effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just, so good. so, so good. Forget, the first time I saw this movie on laser disc. So you guys know James Alcorn for the group from the group. His older brother David had. He was like the first kid on our block to get like a laser disc system. Yeah. And you know that scene where like Luke, you know, gets knocked off the speeder bike and the guy does the loop around the tree. Yeah, yeah. Comes back for him. Like you get 360 sound like all the way around. You can like you actually hear it going around the tree. And you're like, <laughs> so good. Whoa, that was so freaking cool. <laughs> the one thing, I'll, I'll never forget that one little scene because of the, just because of that yeah. sound. So <laughs> you know we, we like to keep it self-contained um but this is within the star wars universe compare that to the pod racing in uh in episode one yeah. and that goes to the difference of practical or you know digital effects versus computer effects and what they were able to accomplish in the feeling like of, of like oh i'm actually on one of these and we're going fast and we're in danger you know he 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 we're in danger but it, I, I never once on the pod race you never it's not as intimate somehow yeah. no absolutely uh, not yeah. and i also got i mean this was also part of the story you don't i didn't get the sense that this was being done so that it could be made into a video game later which i sometimes now in movie making yeah i feel like i'm yeah. sometimes sitting in a movie and i go here's where they intended to sell this as a video game yeah going back to american graffiti george lucas is a bona fide dyed in the wool motorhead and speed freak and hot rodder right he just has a lot it is too i mean they, that's one thing they bonded yeah over, I guess. yeah and they just love american graffiti man yeah, just getting in a car and put the metal uh, pedal down and go fast. So this is just he just wanted a go fast scene hardcore that was like the the queen of all go fast scenes. And let's do it in a redwood forest where any wrong turn is instant death. I mean, how how cool is that, right? <laughs> it's just like I mean, you practically expect the scout troopers to have leather jackets on. I mean, it was so badass. Uh, well, that's the other part, Bill. Is I love how much you have the um, the differentiation of the stormtroopers, right? They're like the finches, like they've been each of them does. <laughs> Like yeah, hands on hot with the the hoods, right? Which yeah. is awesome. You know these guys that that's such a the great analogy, Joe. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I know, right? Seriously, <laughs> finches. That's so good. Like you had been going like through the woods like so fast already, and your mind yeah. was already blown. And there's one little like shot you see of like the scout trooper putting his foot to the floor. Yeah. And then after that, everything's just like, whoa! This is coming at me like. <laughs> way too fast that like yeah. i know these guys like have to be using the force because you would have crashed into a tree like three times already <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no, no it's it's super it's super cool it's just, oh, there's a reason up. the stormtroopers lost that whole chase scene <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> these guys who train theoretically right i mean presumably there's a lot of specialized training to go from being just like the stormtroopers who guard the trash compactor to being the guys who yeah. ride the, the speeders yeah, 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 um, yeah. You, yeah, you just don't walk into the speed freak division. You got to actually 
I imagine you got to train yourself into you it, you know. But uh, but yeah, but um, there's some reflex tests involved, I'm sure. <laughs> one, one would hope. Although I do love the fact that while they're while they're up against, they're banging each other around. The ones one speeder, uh, the scout troopers, like I know what I'll do. Grabs his his, his sidearm, and even at a range of five feet, just pshoo, cannot hit Leia. Like it's like, like, it's like, also got one of my uh, one of my favorite Star Star Wars just moments. You know, Tom talked about the moment of the guy going and looping around. The one where they fly by. And there's these two other guys. It's like a speed trap. Yeah. <laughs> and they, and they pull him behind him. It's like, I clocked you going at 100 through the forest. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, cool. dude, it's like just park yeah. behind a billboard or something. They're like, yeah. Somebody speaks to like two guys. Better get involved in this. <laughs> they, they should have a siren for God's sake. Yeah, like, 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 how do they get out there? Like, like, there's like, oh, yeah, every once in a while, like, we find a couple of Ewoks tearing ass through here. We got to light them up. Like, you just don't know why they're there, but you're glad they were because it extended the chase scene you know i'm i'm now i'm now picturing that one of those stormtroopers is uh the the, the sheriff from uh live and let die <laughs> Good he's like he's like the the the, the bottle for roscoe p cold yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when i get back to the bunk i'm gonna slap your mama right in the mouth <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, anyway, yeah, no. Um th- th- it was just another great set piece and a movie full of set pieces and, and they're fantastic. But I think um at this point I'd like to switch moving moving to some other parts of the movie that are that are a little bit more more weighty, frankly, and kind of do a great job of sort of bringing the much bigger, deeper meta story of the Star Wars trilogy to a to a pretty satisfactory close. And uh, for that, Chris, I'd like to start with you and go to your moment of truth, which uh, it's a little bit later in the movie, but still within this spectacularly layered, you know, climax uh, arc of, of the movie. So, so walk us through your moment and, and, and what you like so much about it, and what you get out of it. My moment of truth is really just a line, but for me, it, it hints at the whole point of the Star Wars story. And it's when Luke says to the Emperor, I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. No matter how its universe expands and ramifies for me star wars is always going to be about luke skywalker i was six when the movie released when star wars released and and it's not an exaggeration to say that it changed the landscape of story for me i was an early reader but you know by six years old i was just starting to edge into basic beverly cleary type stuff and working on encyclopedia brown mysteries i hadn't even come across narnia yet but you know i'd watch television and i'd been exposed to star trek but luke was you know my first real hero other than maybe the six million dollar man who was Mm kind of hard to identify with for a kid and didn't last anyway buck rogers starbuck and apollo logan the runner not the dude with claws (laughs) uh jason of star command donovan from v michael knight these guys were just lightweight replacements that I made do with while waiting for more Luke Skywalker. Mm. By, by the time Return of the Jedi came around, I was 12. I'd been, been exposed to Lloyd Alexander, uh, who's Tyron of, of Cara Dalbin came closest, closest of all fictional characters to Luke for me. And, and to Bad t- respect. Yeah. And, and, to, and to Tolkien, whose heroes are you know atypical. They're, it's just kind of different. And, and maybe most importantly of all, I've been creating my own heroes in Dungeons and Dragons and Gamma World for years. And you know, at any rate, nobody was really ever 
able to replace Luke after that. His character arc within these films is famously ar archetypical stuff. Half the papers I wrote in college owed a depth to, to Joseph Campbell and the interest in mythic storytelling that I've carried throughout my life was no doubt born in Luke Skywalker. Yeah. He informs my definition of hero more than any other character in literature. He caught me by the limbic system at just the right age and he'll always be it for me. We, we set fairly strict limits about what we talk about on the show in terms of uh, you know, going outside the franchise, forward and back in time, whatever, uh, within the fictional universe. But what I'm talking about has to be understood in terms of having you know, been Luke Skywalker in countless fantasies you know, and, and video games and of having read an absolute ton of the now non-canon extended universe stuff, not to mention the comics, though <laughs> I will barely scratch the surface with those. Yeah. Luke, you know, maybe he like Cyclops, Tom, <laughs> has been knocked down and dragged around and redeemed and betrayed by a lot of writers. And, and maybe that's why I'm so forgiving of the, the, the sequel trilogy. You know, Luke knows from the failures of Yoda and Obi-Wan that he could just make things worse. And so his disengagement from heroism kind of rings true to me, you know, in, in the postmodern world we live in. And, you know, as someone who has grown up since I was six. In Return of the Jedi, when Luke steps toward the Emperor, having you know savaged his father and cut his hand off, he, he, he throws his lightsaber aside and says, I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. He is, he's refusing to, to take up the Emperor's challenge uh, to, to strike Vader down and, and rule the Empire by his side. And right here, he is everything my hero should be. Yeah. He understands that he can't win through violence. You know, his win is, is through redeeming his father, you know, objectively the greatest villain in cinematic history. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and look, you know, Yoda and, and especially Ben have set him up to fail. When Luke appears, I'm sorry, when, when Ben appears to Luke just after Yoda's death, he says openly that if Luke can't kill his father, then the Emperor's already won. Mm -hmm. And the last thing he says to Luke in that conversation is that Luke's feelings uh, in regards to Leia do him credit, but they should be buried deep, you know, lest they be made to serve the Emperor. The Emperor himself tells Vader that his son's compassion for him is going to be Luke's undoing. Mm -hmm. But all those feelings are at the core of every decision Luke makes from finding Yoda in the first place to cutting short his training and risking everything to rescue his friends to surrendering to Vader without a fight entirely and being brought before the emperor. Luke yeah. finds another way and it's his feelings that bring him victory in the end. Yeah. Vader tells Luke Skywalker, man, just how he, he forges his own path. Yes. All the time. And all the time a lot of people i don't think get that about luke skywalker that's what makes him the greatest jedi that's what makes him the hero that he is is you know he gets all this dark side light side stuff but he does what he believes is right always he never ventures from that he never falls off that path at all he does things his own way and that's what makes him the best jedi there ever was exactly tom vader tells luke you don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. You know, Luke, though, Luke has already obeyed, disobeyed two masters 
And that's significant. You know, it's through yeah. the power of his anger that he's he, that and his fear that he's able to to best Vader, right? And and, and you know, young fool, Palpatine tells him, only now at the end do you understand. But of course, it's it's the Emperor who doesn't understand. It's it's Yoda and Ben who don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vader is getting circling around behind the Empire, the Emperor, at the moment he says this, right? <laughs> so you know, it's particularly you know pointed. Yeah. But, but, you know, feeling connection is the language of the force, I think, within, within this mythos. And Ben, Yoda, Palpatine, everybody but Luke, and now Vader has failed to understand this. And, and you know, the, the fact that when, when Luke casts away his lightsaber and, and, and rejects violence and, and just accepts suffering... In order, in you know, in, in order to hopefully redeem his father, it's that is heroic, and it's it, it's a rejection of of every paradigm he's ever been taught. Yeah, and and that's gorgeous to me from a storytelling standpoint. Oh, Chris, when I when I saw this in the theater the first time, Luke and Vader have clashed and clashed. Luke is hiding in the shadows, and Vader's walking around trying to bring him out to draw him out, and finally he's like, you know, sister you have a twin sister, you know, and he goes off. He's like, Obi-Wan was wise to fight her for me. He goes, if you can't be turned to the dark side, then perhaps she will. And Luke is like, whoa, he just pops out and just, just, just a being of rage. And that's what Vader wanted, right? He wanted to draw him out. Yeah. But very quickly, Vader is overmatched, right? And, and, and Luke is just going ham on him and just, just, I mean, that he just cannot be stopped. At that point, the fight is completely one-sided, right? Just and and Vader's going back. He's you know his his defense is not up to oh. what Luke is dishing out, right? It's astonishing because you see this one great shot, you know, where, where they're just going from right to left, and it's just you know, you know, you know, they're fighting, and Luke is just like advancing in these massive titanic swings and the music that plays is important. It's not the heroic Star Wars theme, it's this ominous choral kind of dirge that kind of comes up it's yeah. like this is like luke's this is like luke's sith theme this is like the dark side set to music arising and i'm watching okay. as a kid wow. yeah and he's getting and he gets knocked down I'm like oh my god and he, he's got vader down and luke is just hammering just and as a kid i almost wanted to cry I was like, I was like, everybody in the theater is going bonkers. I'm like, no, I was like, this isn't the way, Luke. And I was so upset. I was like, and it's, he hits it and he, and he cuts his hand off. I'm like, oh, like the circles come back again. Like here where we are. And I'm like, Luke is like, Luke is, has, has succumbed to the dark side. And in that moment, he stops and he stops himself at the precipice. Right. And he knows he's gone too far and he stops himself and he goes, wait a minute, this is not what I wanted. This is not what was needed. And in a way that, Ben never thought he could in a way that Yoda never thought he could in a way that the empire never thought he could. I mean, nobody thought that he could do this and he does it himself. Like, like Tom was saying, he is the original, like he does it his own way and he's able to stop and go, you know, I, I drank too deeply from that. Well, three seconds ago, it's time to stop. And, and when he throws the, the saber away, I was so relieved that this, this here and Chris, what you're saying about Luke, I completely agree with you. I mean, he was, he was such the hero I pretended to be, growing up and to see him throw that saber away and just smile at the emperor was like not your game man nope no and i was like oh it was it was the first time i had really seen the story a hero win by no longer fighting and that that was deeply profound to me yeah the story in of star wars i think in all its iterations is to some extent always the same and and the pattern was set right here you know the future is going to be defined by individual choice 
in the face of adversity from multiple directions, you know, like, like, like Luke's got bad training essentially, or at least yeah. incomplete training, his emotions are working against him and everything. But look, I, you know, I'm 50 years old now. And since I was six, I've still had a child's belief in heroes that, you know, can't be reconciled with my politics. You know, I am team cap in a team Tony world in that <laughs> I believe imaginatively in the redemptive power of individual action and sacrifice. When, you know, I know that only collective action and accountability work in the real world. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny, Chris, you know, that's what I was thinking the entire time that you were talking very movingly about uh, your relationship with, with Skywalker as a, um, you know, an archetype and, and a, a real, a real avatar for you throughout your life that we romanticize the, the rebel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we do it, I think, because we know it's not real. We all want to think of ourselves as unique and as special. And that our guts, you know, we, we want to listen to our gut and we want to be the hero because of how we're different than other yep. people. And that, you know, you think about this whole concept of like rugged individualism, right? And as you mentioned, it may be at odds with your political, for lack of a better word, philosophy about how the, uh, the society works. And we're trying to have a civilization here. And, you know, so all of us, I think from our youngest days, we want to be the standout hero, but we also, a lot of us grew up as maybe not so popular, maybe kind of nerdy, maybe a little bit different. We weren't maybe, we weren't sports stars. We were at home reading a book. And so we wanted to be the hero. We were never going to throw the touchdown pass, but maybe, you know, that's why movies like, you know what, I don't care if it's Last Starfighter or these where the kid gets plucked out to be a hero in another galaxy. They spoke to us because we felt some kind of estrangement from from the rest of the the culture that we we live in. And so when you take a, a, a character who doesn't follow the strictures of society. And both these are just how many of the characters that we talk about, right? Whether I don't care if it's Snake Pilkson or if it's, you know what I mean? Or if it's Luke Skywalker, any of these guys that um, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to blaze my own trail and I'm going to make my own path. And all of my teachers are wrong and all of my parents are wrong. Only what I feel in my heart is right. There's going to be, of course, a, a real uh, resonance, especially for a kid right? Who's struggling to, to forge their own identity. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely understandable why that would have spoken so loudly to you uh, and, to, you know, lots of us. Yeah. And that speaks to why Star Wars is, is such a, a, an enduring property. <laughs> you know, one of the things about Star Wars, and again, this is going to, you know, date me and, and I'm sure everybody else on the podcast, but we experienced Star Wars at a time, at least for a while, where these movies came out and they weren't easy to rewatch again. You really didn't have meaningful home video yet. And so you had to watch, you had to re experience it through secondary means, either by playing with action figures or by reading the books or something like that. And, 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 or the, yeah, the card trading cards, right. Big time. Yeah. Uh, but like growing up, I mean, for, from, from star Wars all the way through Jedi, you know, I mean, we did a lot of playing star Wars in my backyard in the woods nearby running around and just, you know, shooting at invisible stormtroopers. I mean, again and again and again and again, entire summer's worth of it, you know? And, and I'll tell you, like so many of my friends, they, there was always the fight of who gets to be Han Solo. 
And I was like, you guys can do that all you want. I really want to be Luke. And people are like, oh, why Luke? I'm like, because, and I was like, because this is kind of to, to Chris's point, like, I don't want to be cool. I want to be the hero, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and I think in Jedi, I got that. And I think, you know, yeah. you know, I think it was, there's a tonal shift in this movie where we see, we see Luke is no longer the whiny kid, no longer the impulsive, you know, not quite Han, <laughs> you know, renegade. He, he's become who he's supposed to be. He's become the hero, right? He's kind of risen above a lot to do, to do the hero thing. And that's, for me, that was a huge payoff to see him in this state and to see him then reject the emperor's final gamut at the end, not knowing the emperor was going to light him up with finger electricity, <laughs> right? He didn't know that, <laughs> didn't know that was in store for him, right? Um, but to see that, was like, it, it, it was, yeah, but it was like, it was peak Luke and I was so thrilled to see it. And it, it was, uh, yeah, it was just awesome to see. I didn't know you were going to give me electric shocks. Yeah, right? <laughs> Dude, not cool, man. Come on, really, really. <laughs> so keep your five dollars. I'm sorry if this sounds too much like a coda. Before I before I give up this moment of truth, I want to share a, a C.S. Lewis quote. I I first saw this memed in text over a photo of a, a young child in you know a little Jedi robe with a toy lightsaber, mm. and it, it, the, the quote is: "Speaking of children." Since it is so likely that they will meet with cruel enemies, let them at least heard of brave knights and heroic courage. Otherwise, you're making their destiny not brighter, but darker. And yeah, that's what Star Wars is about for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a thousand times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like a lightning bolt in my heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Well, I think this is a perfect time for us to pivot to Joe's moment because Joe's moment is a really interesting book into yours, Chris. And uh, John, I'm going to hand the mic over to you so you can talk us through your moment of truth, which happens not that long after Chris's. Not long at all, no. So take um, it away. And it's, um, it's funny because I don't think that it's in any way at all at odds with Chris's interpretation. I think that they actually um, can coexist in, in this world, which is there are many paths to heroism. Some are straightforward, some are really jagged, some take a long detour into darkness. And sometimes those are the most heroic because they, if you've ever been in darkness, if you ever know people who have fought addiction um, and come out of it or um, have had long, long stretches where, you know, think about, and again, huh, people who have maybe um, gone down some rabbit holes uh, with the kind of information they consume, but have been able to come back from it mm. to, to live in a world of facts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are a lot of different journeys that, that take us to, to who we need to be. And sometimes you think you're going to be the hero. You wind up, what is it they say that if you live long enough, you see yourself become the villain. Um, yeah. And if you live even longer than that, maybe you get to be the hero again on the backside. Yeah. And so the moment for me, and there's multiple reasons why is, is after Luke confronts the emperor and fights his father and then refuses to fight the emperor and is punished for it by the emperor. Uh, his father can't stand it. His father watches the emperor savagely torture his, his son, who he was frankly a, a very deadbeat dad to. Luke reaches out to him, right? And he's like, father. And something in, inside Vader breaks, right? And whatever it was, whatever the fear he lived with all those years, because Anakin, later Vader's character, is defined by fear. 
Yeah. He's, he's afraid of losing his mother. He's afraid of losing Padme. He's afraid, afraid, afraid all the time. Afraid I'm not going to get the respect of the council, whatever it is. He, he's just an anxious, scared kid, mm-hmm. even once he gets inside the armor. And what he sees at that last moment is the chance he couldn't save Padme. He couldn't save his mother. He couldn't save himself. He has one last chance to save his son. And he takes it at the cost of his own life. And I, I believe that, that Vader was kind of on his last legs anyway. That's partially why Luke was able to smack him around so good is that, you know, I don't know what the, you know, how many miles you can get on those suits, but, but I think he'd, he'd been in there for a while. He probably had nurtured a hatred of Palpatine for decades mm. and that he was afraid of him, which is why he never fought back. And in that moment, he had something to fight for and he overcame his fear replaced it with a long deferred love for his child. And he, he throws his, his mentor slash nemesis down the shaft. One of those great shafts they always have available for these moments. In, the most, uh, Star- Star Wars. most Star Wars thing possible. The emperor in his throne room has a direct like shaft down to the power core of the space station. <laughs> like, of course, you know, gotta have it. And so then, you know, Vader is just fried out at that point. Like, I mean, he pays the price and, then Luke is like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to save you. And Luke says, you already, and Vader says, you already have. And then, you know, Luke's trying to drag him to the shuttle and Vader's like, look, dude, I don't even want to live anymore. I, I, I'm, I've done so much evil. Let me go out on this note where I've done something mm-hmm. good. And let me, you know, take this mask off me and let me look on you with my own eyes. And I remember sitting in the theater going, Oh God, he's going to take the mask off. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like, what are we going to get? And, and it's only later because I was an eight year old geeking out at like, how is he going to look? Right. Is it going to be really nasty? But, but the more I've watched it and as I've gone through, you know, with my own children and other things, this is a father, you know, trying at the very last to, to um, connect to the son that, that he betrayed. and, Mm -hmm. And so when that mask comes off and, he looks at him and they have that, that moment that, that really hits home for me of one, because it was just a super cool moment in the story, but it was also to me the the completion of Vader's story that he was supposed to be the hero, but he couldn't hack it. And his passions and his gut took him in a very wrong direction. And at the end, he, he found his way back through the love of family and the love of his son that, that gave him one last chance for redemption. And he took it, which, you know, some people don't. Saruman and didn't. What's that? Saruman didn't. Yeah, no, he was Saruman was offered that choice. Right <laughs> For me, the title Return of the Jedi is talking about Anakin Skywalker, how he had left the Jedi and wandered in darkness. And now he had returned for one moment to be a Jedi again before he dies. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, again, <laughs> music plays a lot. For, uh, you know in these moments and i think you know it's when he when he passes away the music is this very distant faint you know plucking a strings version of the of the first you know few bits of the imperial march you know you know vader's theme and i, I just thought it was, it was just a beautiful little, little touch there yeah there's not a lot i can add to this to be honest with you joe i think you hit it so perfectly i mean i you know growing up it's like well, what does vader look like under the mask like how monstrous is it going to be and sure we were teased and, with it in empire right yeah right that and, was and, a like, big oh, deal yeah, I can't wait to see this grotesquery. And it's like, no, it's just, it's just a grown-up version of that scared kid, 
you know, who, who, who's just, you know, he's, he's, he's pitiful and, and not because he's in defeat, but because he's so damn afraid of everything, you know, and it's like that armor, it's, it's just a front. The whole thing is a front really, you know, and uh, you see that. And, I, and I'm so glad they, they rendered him so, so sad and so pitiable at, at the end. Um, Cause that, that's, that's, that's all he yeah. ever really was really, you know? Well, he was a bully because he was weak. I, I just remembered that, you know, like I, the the thing that just kept coming back to me, you know, watching him take the mask off and everything like this is the moment that like Obi-Wan said would never happen. Yeah. Like, there's that scene that yeah, they have you know, like when he first come when he comes out as a force ghost and, you know, it's the whole, you know, man machine line, you know, like before that, like Luke says, like, there is good in him and I, I can feel it. And, you know, Obi-Wan is dismissive, even as a four, you know, force ghost, irrelevant force ghost. And, oh, he's more man than machine. But like they wrote him off and they wrote this whole yeah. moment off. Yeah. And like to get they it. did not even they did not even imagine it. And they are supposed to be able to see the future. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's not just that. It's just like, man, that guy had just terrible mentors. And again, it's Luke yeah. forming his own path and saying, like, I know I'm right about this, and yeah. sticking to it. There is good in him, and I can redeem him. And uh, no one else thought that it could be done. Yeah. To be fair, Luke wasn't there when he slaughtered the kindergarten class, right? Okay? Or or, or, or the Tuscan Raiders watched that happen and were like, felt it in the Force when dozens of younglings went under this guy's knife fair so fair. maybe they don't believe in his capacity for redemption no, quite the same right way. and the, the last thing that 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 he heard from that, that obi-wan heard from anakin was <laughs> i hate you i hate you exactly <laughs> to be fair if a guy cut my arms and legs off and left me in lava yeah. i wouldn't love him a lot either. yeah yeah so you know it's yeah, just you know remember all this jedi way stuff you know it turns out in many ways it's very very wrong you know and yeah. like luke is the one who yeah, showed it <laughs> If he has a failure later, it's that he does not change the Jedi ways enough, I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, one of the great privileges I find as a fan of Star Wars is that I got to experience it for the first time as a child, and I got to grow up it, with it in, in the background of my mental and emotional landscape. And I get to keep coming back to it. Like other things like Lord of the Rings, it means different things to me at different points in my life. And, you know, Chris, like you, I'm a half century old now. Fun fact, you and I are both now five years older than Vader was when he died. <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, so, you know, but, but, but with age brings perspective, especially if you're going to work in the, you know, the prequels, you look at people like Obi-Wan, you look at people like Yoda and who of us hasn't suffered a loss in life and has made decisions afterwards that are the kinds of decisions we never would have made had we not suffered that loss in the first place. Right. You know, you, you suffer some great setback and you don't want to go back there again. There are people counting on you. You don't want to start, you know, you know, for whatever reason, you're like the 20 year old version of me would not make the decisions. The 50 year old version of me would, would be making uh, that's because the 50 year old version has scars and has baggage and has a history then and they color the way you think. And and I, I don't want to be too hard on Kenobi and Yoda because they for all their efforts, they tried their hardest. And it was such a dramatic, epic failure. And they watched their greatest hope turn into their greatest fear. And so I mean, I, I can appreciate why Ben is so focused on don't get swept into the whole Vader thing. He doesn't want to see Luke become another Anakin. I can, I can forgive Ben for that's all he can see anymore because he went through such a thing. But that said, I mean, this is the advice that Luke is getting. And for Luke to have made the, the journey he made. And, and Luke, I mean, he, he self-trains and then goes back to Yoda. He goes, well, look, I'm here to finish my training. I mean, he, he had trained. He had saved his friend from Jabba the Hutt. He emerged. He had cleaned house with the saber, emerged victorious. You know, this is exactly the kind of moment 
Ben and Yoda were like, well, he's just going to go away. He's never going to come back. He's got everything he needs now. And that's when Luke feels most like now it's more important than ever that I come back. And that's how far outside of their context Luke really is and always has been. It's that context that brings us to Joe's moment where it's like Vader would never have been redeemed if not for a son like Luke. You know, nobody else could have brought Vader to, Vader to that space but Luke. I think it's really important that they, they, they changed them, you know, famously changed the title uh, of the movie from Revenge of the Jedi to Rever Return of the Jedi. Yeah. It's really important, I think, to note that Luke doesn't try to redeem Vader. There's, there's, no, there's no revenge motive. You know, he, this is yeah. not a dad he ever knew. This isn't, you know, you killed my father, you know, kind of, or you corrupted my father or whatever. It's, it's not that. It's, I should have had a father and I believe that he would have been a good man. And I just choose that. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I, I find it powerful kind of that, that it, it is completely emotional yeah. and, and non-experiential reaction from Luke, you know, that, that he, well, he thinks he needs his dad or, or wants to yeah. protect his dad just on principle. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the rebels are there on Endor, to destroy the Galactic Empire, Luke is there in Endor to rescue his father. Yeah. They happen to be the same. They happen to be happening at the same time. But Luke is there really with a very different agenda than the rest of the rebels. He's like, all this other stuff aside, I know my father's out there and he needs me, and I'm going to go to find. I'm going to go to him. I think it's basically a question of I have to try. Yeah, and I will never be able to live with myself if I don't try. Yeah, I think we've all sort of been confronted with those situations in our own lives, like where, you know, we, we know what the right thing is and we know what the wrong thing is. And sometimes we pick the wrong thing because the right's just too hard. Uh, yeah. And that's where yeah. the heroism comes in, is in, I know this is the hardest path and it's not necessarily likely, but there's a chance I have to, I have to try. Completely agree. Yes. Yes. Hero. So. <laughs> well, look, before we wrap up, a final thought. Of the three original Star Wars films, Return of the Jedi is easily the one that has fared the worst over time. From initial reactions to the Ewoks, to the film's sharp swings in tone, to the digital revisions it, it received years later. Not all fans have been kind to this one. And that's a shame, really, because uh, I have never stopped loving this movie since the day it was released. Uh, Return of the Jedi was one of these, it was really one of the first big movies that made a speedy transition from the theater to home video. And because of that, I watched this particular chapter of the Star Wars trilogy probably more than any other for quite a long time. Uh, in fact, there was once when I was watching it, I was so familiar with it that I managed to recite the entire script from memory as I went along, much to my brother's enormous annoyance. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of viewers my age sort of cooled on Star Wars not long after Jedi came out, kind of having reached an age when it felt like it was time to put away childish things, even if we don't know why. Now, my own separation from Star Wars came from a kind of a different place. Return of the Jedi was the first Star Wars story that did not hint at something further beyond the closing credits in terms of story. There really were no loose ends. There were no villains who got away. There were no heroes with fates uncertain. It was as clean an ending as the beginning and middle acts of this epic were raggedly defined. And it was something that having grown up on both Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, I wasn't really prepared for at the time it came out, the Star Wars trilogy was unique among movies in the degree to which it invited and encouraged such a long-term investment of its audience's imagination. You know, when a story ends that you have not so much attended, but lived and dreamed, 
well, what ending could be entirely sufficient? How do you properly tell a generation of people that a chapter of their lives is over, whether they're ready for it or not? After all, this story might have begun a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but Return of the Jedi still felt timely and close, full of conflicts as real as the ones we live through and full of characters who feel like friends. And that's an awful lot to just put away and bid farewell. Many of us were loath to do so, and a lot of us never did and never will. The best parts of Star Wars are the ones that live on in our hearts as bright glimmers of universal heroic truth that help to light our way when things seem dark and when deliverance feels so very distant. Return of the Jedi is not just another chapter in an ongoing space opera. It's so much more. It is the promise that all wars end, that all trials will conclude, that our friends are the ones we do not leave behind, that we must eventually live without our teachers, that redemption is always possible if only we have the courage to pursue it. But more than anything, in saying goodbye, at least for a time, Return of the Jedi is a potent reminder that the Force will be with us always. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.